me ask you to take your Bibles and turn to Mark chapter 1. Mark chapter 1. In keeping with the holiday of Valentine's Day, we're going to talk about relationships. It just happens that we we are um, come to this passage in Scripture where Jesus um, develops and continues this relationship that He has with His Father. The quality of, of a relationship is directly proportionate to the amount of communication that goes on between the two individuals. Tomorrow morning, your coworker Marty comes up to you and tells you that he's going to take his wife to dinner this Friday. And you say to him, but Marty, you're married? I mean, I kind of assumed you are married. I saw the wedding ring, but you, you never talk about her. Oh, yeah, yeah, I've been married for 14 years and... Um, you know, we, we we do things occasionally. But anyway, we're going to this Thai restaurant on Friday. Oh, you guys like Thai food? Well, I do. I don't know if she does or not. I haven't really asked her. But we're go- we're planning to leave at, and uh, go on Friday afternoon, maybe 2 or 3 o'clock in the afternoon. Well, doesn't your wife have anything to do during that time of the day? I mean, is she working or maybe has to pick up the kids from school or something? Well, I'm not sure if she's going to be available or not, but but I'm I'm planning to be there. So, um, well, what are you going to do after that? Well, after that, we're going to a musical at the uh, the Fox Theater. Oh, you guys like musicals then? Well, I do, but I don't know about her. I I haven't really asked her. I'm just going to take her. Okay, so you've been married to this woman for 14 years, and yet you never talk about her. This is the first time I've heard about her. And you speak as if you know something about her when you've never really asked her. How can this be? I mean, you claim to have a relationship with this woman, and yet you don't know anything about her. You don't know her likes or dislikes at this point, 14 years later. And yet you speak as you have, as if you have authority as to what she is thinking, what she desires. And I think this analogy holds true with God as well. Any relationship is, is based on, every relationship is based on communication. And we can't properly show affection for our spouse or anyone else for that matter, matter without communication, whether that be verbal or otherwise. There has to be communication. And the same thing is true with our relationship with God. I think you see where I'm going with with that analogy. We often speak authoritatively on behalf of God. We say, well, this is what God thinks. This is what God likes and dislikes. And then we say, someone follows up, well, how do you know that? How do you know God likes that? How do you know God does not like that? And we say, well, I haven't really asked them. I I don't really know. And they ask you to show uh, show them from the Scriptures where they can see that. Well, I haven't really looked in the Scriptures for myself. And yet we speak as if we're the authority, as if we have authority that we can speak on behalf of God. And yet we never talk to God. We never spend time with God. We never, he never comes up in any conversations outside of this church. Every healthy relationship is based on communication. And if we are not communicating with God and about God, then people will be surprised when we bring Him up. 
who is this God you're talking about? I always thought you were kind of religious. You seemed a little different, but who is this guy? This morning, we're going to look at Mark chapter 1, verses 35-39 through 39, to see that we must be like Jesus. That we should both spend time speaking to God and speaking about God. So let's look at verse 35 of Mark chapter 1. In the early morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went away to a secluded place and was praying there. Simon and his companions searched for him. They found him and said to him, Everyone's looking for you. He said to them, Let us go somewhere else to the towns nearby so that I may preach there also, for that is what I came for. And he went into their synagogues throughout all Galilee, preaching and casting out demons. Today we're going to see that like Jesus, we must be people who speak to God and on behalf of God. The most important thing in our lives is to be in communication with and about God. That is what our lives should be marked by. Jesus here had probably stayed the night at Simon and Andrew's house. It's, it's not, we're not really clear from the text. But remember from last week we looked at these healings that took place here uh, at Simon and Andrew's house. They had been at the synagogue all day. They come over to Simon and Andrew's house to eat supper and they find out that Simon's mother-in-law is sick. She has a fever. So Jesus heals her of the fever. And then all the city comes at sunset to the door of the house because they wanted to be healed as well. So Jesus spends much of the evening probably healing and teaching them about who He is and what He can do. So the next morning, He gets up early, we find, and He goes and spends some time with God. The first thing that we see is is that we must have a close relationship with, with God. We must communicate with God. Speak to Him. Verse 35 says, in the early morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went away to a secluded place and was praying there. I want you to notice the seclusion of the prayer. Whenever we, we spend personal time with God, it should be done in quiet. And this is what Jesus is doing. He gets up while it's still dark, and then He goes to a secluded place. So there's both a quiet time while it's still dark, early in the morning when no one's up and, and scurrying around and when there's a lot of distractions, he goes and prays during a quiet time, but also he goes to a quiet place. Now, the point of Mark recording for us that it was still dark, I think speaks to the fact as to how early this really was. Now, unlike us, the people of that day did not wear wristwatches or have cell phones where they could check the time. So they would break up the, the dark time of the night into four times. So that you would have four watches is what they would call it. The first one was between 6 and 9 p.m. They would call this the first watch of the night. And then the second would be from 9 to midnight. And then midnight to 3 would be the third watch. And then the fourth watch of the night was between 3 and 6 a.m. Mark is telling us that it happened while it's still dark. So it was probably before 6 a.m., could have been as early as 3 or 4 o'clock in the morning. And we've, we've seen in other parts of Scripture that Jesus spent the entire evening praying or the entire night. He, he pulled an all-nighter and prayed to His God. So this was just before dawn. And Jesus did this in order to be alone, in order to be quiet so that He could 
focus and concentrate on talking to his father. But not only was it a quiet time, it was also a quiet place. Notice verse 35. It says, In the early morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went away to a secluded place and was praying there. Now, why, did, why go to a quiet place, place if, he's already, if, if he's already doing it during quiet time? Why not just wake up near his bed, wherever he was laying, and spend time there? Why does he have to go to a quiet place as well? Well, I think it's, it's partially because at some point, other people might start waking up and start asking things of him. And what we're going to find is that people are starting to ask about him. People from the city, they, they heard of all the things that he had done the previous evening, and they're going to be at the door of Simon and Andrew's house, and they're going to be asking for Jesus to come and heal their sicknesses, take care of their problems. And Jesus recognized that, so he took himself and removed himself from the situation. Why is it that we pray? What is the purpose of prayer? Why would Jesus pray? The reason that we should pray is because it shows our dependence upon God. We actually show that we are depending upon God in our communication. And Jesus becomes a great example for us because even though He's a member of the Godhead, even though He is fully God, He still prays to His Father. So why? Why would Jesus pray? I think first of all, it's because God is a communicating God. God is a communicating God. Each member of the Godhead is in perfect communion with one another. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit. They are in perfect communion with one another. And even before creation came about, they existed eternally and they were in perfect communication with one another. And so for Jesus... He was constantly communing with the Father. He was constantly spending time in prayer. He always had this perfect relationship with His Father. So God is a communicating God. However, there was a time in Jesus' life where He was cut off from communication between Himself and the Father. Do you remember which time that was? It was when He was on the cross. When God forsook Jesus on the cross, turn to chapter 15, and I'll show you exactly where that happens. Mark chapter 15, and we'll begin reading in verse 33. And when we come across this term, darkness, that darkness fell upon the whole region, that, that simply is referring to the judgment that God was enacting upon His Son that God was, was showing His disdain for His Son because of the sin that He bore, our sin. Mark chapter 15, verse 33. When the sixth hour came, darkness fell over the whole land until the ninth hour. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which is translated, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When some of the bystanders heard it, they began saying, Behold, he's calling for Elijah. Someone ran and filled a sponge with sour wine, put it on a reed, and gave him a drink, saying, Let us see whether Elijah will come to take him down. And Jesus uttered a loud cry and breathed his last. For Jesus, 
this was the most difficult time of his existence. It was when his father turned his back on him. When his father cut off the line of communication between himself and his son. Jesus was forsaken for us. The separation that, that took place was a spiritual one. It was that God acted as judge on His Son, Jesus Christ, where He turned His face from Jesus. And that is because Jesus was made sin for us. He was judicially put in our place so that the guilt that was upon Him was not His own guilt. It was not the the shame that, that He bore as a result of something that He did. It was our shame and our guilt that was put upon Him. And so He bore it in the fashion that caused God, the righteous judge, to forsake Him, to crush Him. And included in this forsaking was the intimacy and communion which normally flowed between the Father and the Son. It was cut off. No longer could Jesus communicate perfectly with His Father. For these three hours, His Father had turned His back on Him. And so God is a communicating God. God desires to communicate not only within the Godhead, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit, but also with His people. And this is an amazing thing to think about. That God not only desires to communicate within the Godhead, but also He desires to communicate with His image bearers. Those who bear His image. And in the past, God had communicated with His voice. You remember when when God was uh, walking in the Garden of Eden with, with Adam. They would do this daily. But then because of sin, there had to be a separation between man and God. And as a result, God had to speak to man in a different way. And, and, and remember, throughout the, whole, the Old Testament, the sacrificial system was set up and the priest was, was the mediator between God and man. And eventually, Jesus did away with that because He bore the sins of of us. And so now, God communicates to us, not audibly. He doesn't come and walk into our bedroom and start. Uh, we start hearing an audible voice. It is through His Word. He has written down what He wants us to hear. And so that is how He communicates with us now. And that is really why we were, why we were created. It was to communicate with God so that God could could develop a relationship with us. He made us into rational beings, ones that have thoughts, ones that that can put uh, ideas together so that we can think rightly about God. And this is completely different from any other creature on the earth. Think about it. Does God communicate with animals or plants the same way that He communicates with us? Can a a sheep cry out to God and beg for His mercy? Only instinctively, right? They can't tell God what they're thinking because they don't really have thoughts. Your dog can't tell you what he's thinking. He only responds instinctively to, to what his body tells him. He doesn't have rational thought. And so God made us different from any other creature. He made us different than any other part of creation in that we have the ability to rationally think about God's thoughts after Him. 
And He did that so that we could communicate with Him. So that we could enjoy the fellowship that there is with Him. Human language is a suitable vehicle for God to to speak to us. There are certainly animals that communicate in different different ways, but, but language, the human language, was a God-given part of, of, of the image of God in us. It was designed so that we could speak with Him, so that we could, could be in touch with God. God is, desires to communicate with us so much so that He provided a way for us to do so. I mean, if you think about it, Christianity is the only religion where the worshiper is in personal touch with his founder. It is that God, the founder of our our understanding, of founder of all things, has personally indwelt us if we are one of His children. He has provided a way through the Holy Spirit to indwell us as believers so that we can have this perfect fellowship with Him. God is a communicating God. And if you don't believe that, then all you have to do is look at hell. Think about what the worst punishment is for those people who reject God. Is it that they're separated from their friends forever? That they can't have fellowship with their friends anymore? No. Although that will be a part of it. Is it that they're going to be in pain for the rest of their existence? Well, that's part of it, but that's not the worst part about being in hell. The worst part is being cut off from God forever. Unable to communicate with Him. Although they want to cry out and ask for His mercy... He does not respond because they have already had their chance while they were alive on this earth. And so now forever, they will be cut off from a relationship with Him. God is a communicating God. And He desires to have a relationship with you. And if we do not take it upon ourselves like Jesus did in Mark chapter 1, then we will miss out on a great blessing that God has for us. Not only did Jesus pray to God because God is communicating God, but also because Jesus depended Jesus depended upon his Father. Now this is a little bit harder to understand, but let me try to explain this to you. The fact that the Son was sent by the Father suggests that there is a dependence within the Godhead. That is that Jesus the Son depends upon God the Father. There is a a difference between the two persons. We know from Zechariah chapter 13 that the Son suffers at the will of the Father. Let me have you turn to John chapter 17 and I'll show you how there's a subordination between the Son and the Father that the Son recognizes that He is subordinate to the Father. And that is because they are distinct persons. The Father is not the Son. The Father is not the Spirit. The Son is not the Spirit. They are distinct persons. 
I'll show you later that they are all God, however. John chapter 17, verse 6. This is Jesus praying to the Father, and He says, I have manifested Your name, that is the Father's name, I have manifested Your name to the men whom you You gave out of the world. They were Yours, and You gave them to Me, and they have kept Your word. Now they have come to know that everything You have given Me is for You. For the words which You gave Me, I have given to them, and they received them, and truly understood that I came forth from You, and they believed that You sent Me. I ask on their behalf. I do not ask on behalf of the world, but of those whom You have given Me, for they are Yours. Do you notice the passive nature of Jesus' prayer? That God has given these things to Him. He recognizes that there is a dependence upon His Father just as we should have a dependence on His Father. Now, obviously, there is a little bit of a difference because we are finite and we are not God, but there is a dependence that the, that the Son has upon the Father. You remember when the rich young ruler came to Jesus, he said, Good teacher, what must I do to be saved? And, and what was Jesus' response to him? He said, Why do you call me good? There is no one who is good except who? God, that is the Father, alone. He was saying that he depended upon the Father. Now, certainly it's, it is difficult for us to understand, but what we cannot think when we, when we look at this is that because they are distinct, that is, the Father is different from the Son, who is different from the Spirit, that they are not all God. They are three gods. Or that God the Father is the best and the other two are, are secondary. No, it's just a difference in function. It's similar to uh, the functions that we have within our own society. I would hope that if a police officer pulled up behind your car with his lights on, that you would have the sense to pull over. Now, is that because the police officer is some greater citizen than you are? Does he have, does he have some special... Uh, extra privilege of being a a citizen of the United States than you? No, it's just that he has a different function, right? We would have the same uh, sorts of of rights as he does. We have the same number of votes when it comes to voting for members of the Congress or or, uh, the next president. It's just that he has a different function. The same thing is true within the Godhead. That God is... God the Father is equal with God the Son. And that, and that is what I want to, to move to now. That, that is, that not only are they distinct but, distinct, but they have the same quality or essence. That is, the Father is God, the Son is God, and the Spirit is God. They are one God. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 2, we read, "...according to the foreknowledge of God the Father." So the Father is referred to as God. In Titus chapter 2, verse 13, we have the great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. So Jesus Christ is referred to as God. And then in Acts chapter 5, verses 3 and 4, we have Ananias and Sapphira lying to the Holy Spirit in verse 3. And then that becomes equal to, verse 4, lying to God. So the Holy Spirit is God as well. So I think it's important to understand that that each of them is God, but they also have distinct personalities. They are distinct persons. So when we say 
someone died on the cross, we should not say that God the Father died on the cross for our sins. God the Father cannot die because He is spirit. God the Son can because He is human. And, and so we, we just need to understand that distinction. But, but the point I'm trying to make is that the reason that Jesus prayed, not only because God is communicating God, but also because He depended upon His Father. And we should do the same thing. We should depend upon God as our Father. That He provides all things for us. And that nothing that we have comes on, from our own ingenuity, our own amount of work. It all comes from God. Jesus recognized that, and we should as well. Another reason that we ought to pray, not only because Jesus has showed us His example, is, but, but, but also because God commands us to pray. God commands us to pray. We have several commands from Jesus Himself in Luke chapter 18, verse 1. Now he was telling them a parable to show them at all times they ought to pray and not lose heart. Luke chapter 21, verse 36. But keep on the alert, alert at all times, praying that you may have strength to escape all these things that, you're about to, that are about to take place. So Jesus commands his disciples and by extension us to pray. But then we have some uh, further commands in the epistles themselves. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 18, with all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the Spirit. And then one of the shortest verses in the New Testament, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 17, pray without ceasing, or pray continually, pray without stopping. So we ought to take the example of prayer by Christ and the command to pray by Christ and respond with the diligence that He had. Notice in verse 35 of Mark chapter 1, the diligence that Jesus had. It wasn't just like, well, if I have time, I'll go and, and spend some time with my Father. Notice what He did in verse 35. It says, In the early morning, while it was still dark, notice the verbs, Jesus got up, He left the house, and He went away to a secluded place and was praying there. That is some some significant resolve that Jesus had. And so we ought to be diligent like Jesus. Why is it that we don't pray more? Why is it that we don't pray like Jesus prays? Is it because we already pray enough? Maybe we have prayed through the entire list of people that we want to pray through. Is that enough? Well, certainly that cannot be enough because we have to be honest. Like I just quoted for you, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 17 says what? Pray without stopping. That is the goal. Now, we all know that we cannot perfectly uh, hit that goal, but that doesn't take away its significant for, significance for us. It doesn't mean that we can stop. and we, Oh, if we can't make it there, then we're not even going to try. No, the point is, is that we need to pray as, as much as we possibly can. Not, not that we have to go and spend personal time, one-on-one -on -one time with God, but that throughout the day, we are directing our thoughts to God. That is how we pray continually. Maybe we don't pray because we don't want to pray. Maybe we just don't want to pray. Is that why you don't pray? 
Why is it that we don't want to pray? Perhaps it's because of our shame. Because we stand before a holy God and we recognize the gulf that is fixed between Him and us. And so we don't pray as much as we should because we are shamed by our sin. Well, you know from 1 John chapter 1, verse 9 that if we confess our sin, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So we need to put that excuse aside and spend time in prayer. Maybe it's that we don't have time to pray. You know, I just have too many things in my life right now. I don't have time to to spend time with God too. I mean, I'm doing all these other things for Him. What does He expect of me? Maybe it's we don't have time to pray, but Jesus made time to pray despite all the people who were vying for His attention. I mean, who who required more attention or who, who, who uh, had more things to do, more things on His schedule than Jesus did? You remember later on, uh, we'll find out at the end of this chapter that Jesus could no longer go publicly into a city because He had so many people coming after Him wanting them wanting Him to heal them. And despite the fact that He had all these people vying for His attention, He made time to spend with His Father. It may require that we have to give up some recreation or it may require that we have to give up some sleep in order to spend time with the Father, but it is something that is vital to the Christian. It could be that we don't pray because we don't know what to pray. How can I speak to God? First thing I want to, you to think about when when you when a when an objection like that comes up in your mind that, that I, I don't know what to say to Him is that whatever you pray, okay, what, whatever it may be, if if you have been called a a child of God, if if God has called you His child, then both the Spirit Romans chapter eight and the Son are praying on your behalf. They are interceding for you. So that when we don't know what to pray, the Son and the Spirit pray on our behalf. And so they take our groanings when we don't know what exactly to say and they and they talk to God on our behalf as if they're a lawyer for us. We don't know the, the technical terms. We don't know exactly what God wants to hear maybe but the Spirit and the Son pray for us. And then I want you to think, secondly, that there is no magic formula to praying. There's no magic formula. You don't have to say a certain number of words. You don't have to say uh, certain phrases so that God it'll click in God's ears. Just look at the Lord's Prayer and, and you can learn from that. Our Father, who is in heaven, hallowed be Your name. That is, we address God. We address God as Father. That's who we're praying to. And then we praise Him for who He is. Hallowed or holy. Great is Your name. We praise Him for who He is. So that's the first thing is praise. Secondly, repentance for, for violating God's commands. Jesus says in His prayer when He's teaching the disciples, forgive us what? Forgive us our debts as we have forgiven those who have trespassed or are debtors. And then thirdly, so praise, repentance, ask. We need to ask for for our 
daily provision. We need to ask that God's desire would take place in this world. That's why Jesus prays, Your kingdom come, Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That is, that Your desire will take place on this earth. And then we pray for our provision. Give us this day our daily bread. We don't presume upon God that He will give to us. We pray for it. We ask Him. And then the final thing is yield. We should praise God for who He is. We should repent of our sin. We should ask of God. And then we should yield to Him. And that is why Jesus says, And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For Yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. We are yielding ourselves to God. That is what should be involved in our prayer. And there's no special magic words that we have to say. So let me quickly go through the last four verses here, Mark chapter 1. We'll see that not only should we pray to God, but we should speak on behalf of God. We must speak on behalf of God. Simon and his companions searched for him. They found him and said, Everyone's looking for you. And he said to them, Let us go somewhere else to the towns nearby so that I may preach there also, for that is what I came for. And he went into their synagogues throughout all Galilee, preaching and casting out demons. The disciples recognized here that Jesus had something that people wanted. And so they wanted Him to satisfy their needs through the miracles. And they didn't understand why why did you go off to pray? You have plenty of things to do here. Why unnecessarily go off to this place and spend time with God? I mean, do you really need to spend time with God? And they felt that Jesus ought ought to have regulated his movements based on the desires of the crowd. What did the crowd want? But we should learn from Jesus that our primary tasks in life must never be swerved by what the crowds want. But rather, we should be like Jesus in that we should should be swayed by what God wants. And that is, He wants a relationship. He wants us to communicate with Him. And so that's what Jesus did and the disciples didn't realize it that Jesus didn't come to be a miracle worker. He came to be a redeemer. He came to save them from their sins. And he did that through his preaching. And that's why he says in verse 38, he said to them, Let us go somewhere else to the towns nearby so that I may preach there also. For that is what I came for. It's not so that I can heal all their sicknesses, although I will do a lot of that. It's so that I can preach, so that I can explain to them who God is. And what better way to do that than through Jesus Himself? So He explains the the purpose of His public ministry in verse 38. And then we see the authority in His teaching in verse 39. He went into the synagogue rather than in in the marketplace because He was speaking on behalf of God, not on behalf of religiously or on economic leaders or political leaders. He was speaking on behalf of God. And so the application for us is that if we are going to speak on behalf of God like Jesus did, then we need to know about God. We need to know what God says. I mean, what would Bob think if I went around telling everyone in the church about what he thought about the war in Afghanistan? And I told that I told all of you what Bob thinks about that war and what things need to be done. 
And he finds out about it and says, wait a second, I, I never said that. I don't think that. How do you know that? Well, I just kind of thought that's what you were thinking. I mean, I, I know what you think on some other things, so I thought that's what you thought on the war. No? You see, we cannot speak authoritatively on behalf of another person, in this case God, if we don't know anything about that person, if we've never actually asked Him, if we've never actually searched the Scriptures to find out what His response is. How can we speak authoritatively on behalf of God when we don't really know Him? When we don't really know what He has to say. And so my point is that we need to listen to God. Not only should we talk to Him and speak on behalf of Him, but we ought to listen to God. And the way that we do that is, one, by doing what you're doing right now, to hear the Word of God preached. But not only that, you have to also read His Word for yourself because the amount of Scripture that you get on a Sunday is not enough to sustain you for the entire week. You need to be spending time listening to God throughout the week. And you do that by reading His Word. Nothing else can replace listening to God. Nothing else can replace your personal time hearing His voice. You hear it by reading His Word, by studying it, by memorizing it. And so today we've seen that like Jesus, we must be people who speak to God in prayer and on behalf of God to others. And we can only do that when we have a relationship with Him. The most important thing in our lives should be communication with and about God. God's primary purpose in all of life is to glorify Himself, to bring praise to His name. And therefore, His communication is centered around people who reflect His character in some way. And one day, we will be able to shed these bodies and minds of sin so that we will be able to praise and communicate God unhindered by our sin. And that is what God ultimately desires to do. He says, I will be your God and you will be my people and I will dwell among you. He's talking about a time during the thousand year reign of Jesus Christ when we will be able to live on this earth and have God dwell among us. This passage that we've looked at teaches us that the Son of Man and the perfect servant of God, our Lord, submitted Himself to the Father in all things. And so we find Him praying before He moves on to the next mission in His life. And if Jesus Christ felt the need to go to God in prayer how much more must we feel that need? How can we neglect spending time with God when Jesus didn't do it? We must spend time communicating with God and speaking on His behalf. Let's bow together in prayer. Lord, we thank You for the example of Jesus Christ, Your Son who came to this earth for the ultimate reason to glorify You by giving His life for us. But one of the primary ministries that He had, perhaps the primary ministry, was to preach 
your word. And we want to be people who not only communicate with you, but but communicate about you to other people around us. Lord, you know that I'm not calling for us to, to close our lips until we understand everything about your word but that we ought to explain to people as much as we know about Your Word. And we ought to be people who are striving more to find out more about what You said to us. And we can't do that apart from Your Holy Spirit who gives us light, who enlightens our minds and opens our eyes to its truth. We're so thankful that He was active in our salvation. And that He caused us to be able to see the glory of the Gospel. That Jesus Christ came to die for sinners. That He died for His enemies. And now, as a result of His death, we can be called not only your friends, but your children. That we are children of the King. And Lord, we want to exalt You with all of our lives. And so we pray that You would use this time in Your Word to expose the sin in our life. We know that that we all do not conform to this truth as well as we ought to. We fill up our our schedules and our time with so many things that, that matter very little in this life. And we bow in shame and ask for Your grace that You would turn Your favor upon us and and allow us to be able to turn to You so that we can have a close relationship with You. Help us to be genuine in our love for You and in our display of Your character in our lives, in our explanation of Your truth to other people. Lord, we need You. When things are going tough, when things are going easy, we need You. You are our provider, our sustainer, and You are the source of our life and our salvation. We look to You as our rock, our refuge, our Redeemer. And we ask that You would help us as we go out into this world that You would Give us the strength and the grace to endure and to turn to You in all things and to be spreading Your Word to the people around us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.